0: Welcome to Optimistic Voices, a podcast of helping children worldwide. We help children worldwide by strengthening and empowering families and communities. This podcast is for people interested in deep conversations with thought leaders in the fields of child welfare, global health, and international missions. to the Optimistic Voices podcast. I'm your host, Laura Horda. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Brandon Stiber about his experiences in the global child welfare sector, specifically as it relates to the care of orphans and vulnerable children and how so many of us in this space feel, I'm air quoting now, called uh, to this work and what it means to realize that your calling may not be the calling that you thought it was. So um, just to give a little background on the topic, we're going to take a deep dive into an aspect of this work involving orphans and vulnerable children that I think doesn't really get often talked about. Um, Brandon and I were, were chatting last week and talking about how we often in the sector, we call it the sector, talk about the research. We talk about the nuts and bolts of getting kids home. We talk about transition we talk about the un convention on the rights of the child and all these research statistics that we throw around and that's all really important stuff uh, we've done a number of podcast episodes uh, on optimistic voices and there are num there are hundreds of them out there on these topics and so it's just really important to talk about that stuff but we don't really spend a lot of time i think talking about the motivations for getting involved in orphan care in the first place we do cite some scriptural language. We all talk about James 1.27 and Psalm 68.6, but we don't really go deep into what it is that makes people point their whole careers in this direction, Uh, give up their lives in the United States and go live in other places uh, to do this work, this really difficult work. So today, Brandon and I wanted to get into something that was a little deeper, a little more spiritual than what we'd normally do when we talk about orphan care and talk about when you feel called by God specifically to this kind of work and what that means. I think if you talk to a lot of us in this work, a lot of us are going to speak to how this has been in response to a calling that they feel like has been put on their lives. And I think it's important to talk about what that means and how that impacts the work that we do, especially as we're now coming, not now. I mean, we've been coming to understand that orphanages are not the best place for children to grow up. So if you've ever felt called to support an orphanage or to build an orphanage or go work in an orphanage, how are you going to square up that calling with what we now know and believe is in the best interest of care for children, which is that they grow up in in families. Um, How are we supposed to make those seemingly conflicting ideas connect or balance out? So I'm, Really excited to have Brandon on the show today. Um, he is the senior director for global programs and partnerships at One Million Home. Um, he's worked in child welfare and nonprofit for more than 12 years. And before he joined the One Million Home team, he led a family based care program in Tanzania for many years. He's also worked in a Tanzanian orphanage. So he's got this interesting take on sort of the entire trajectory of orphanage care to family care. Um, and a lot of experience in that. He also teaches on issues that face at-risk children. He teaches at the university level, and he's really passionate about Indigenous leadership like we are at HCW. We really prioritize local leaders, local solutions for local problems, community mobilization, and then pulling different global entities together to deliver the best care for at-risk children really around the world. So we've obviously asked Brandon to be on the episode because he shared that he did receive a calling um, early on in his life to travel to Tanzania and serve orphans there. And he worked for an orphanage while he was there for several years before his journey took him on a very different path that's ultimately led him to One Million Home. So Brandon, it's great to have you on the show today. We're thrilled you're here.
1: Thanks, Laura. It's awesome to be with you.
0: (laughs) Okay, to kick us off, I want you to share a little bit about the work of 1Million Home, who you are, what you do. Um, So why don't you share with the audience a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So like you mentioned, I oversee global programs and partnerships at 1Million Home. Uh, 1Million Home, we're a nonprofit based here in the States. Um, We operate as a social venture, which is basically just identifying certain solutions and uh, providing support. Uh, to kind of tackle more systemic problems. So um, we have a direct services team in Kenya. Um, Our core methodology is transition support services, which is essentially just recognizing that throughout the world, um, there are orphanages that are waking up um, to the needs. Uh, Waking up might sound a little demeaning. I, I don't mean it in that way, but Um, they're coming to a realization that they could be doing something better and they could be supporting kids to be in family. Um, They could be providing even other community services that are going to help kids grow up in family and and help the broader community. Um, As organizations, uh, orphanages, residential facilities are coming to that realization, um, they don't necessarily know how to get from point A to point B. So our core methodology is basically supporting those organizations through transition. So as a nonprofit, we operate really in a more of a B2B format, business to business, organization to organization, and walk them through what it looks like to transition and what it looks like to learn how to do safe reunifications, how to uh, do child protection. So we have our direct service uh, team in Kenya, as I mentioned, where we have over... Fifty Kenyans that are working, providing solutions, providing support um, within that country. Um, Kenya is really kind of a hot spot for care reform right now. They have a new uh, children's law that came out last year. Or so we have um, primarily Kenyans, but also some American staff that are on the ground there um, between Kisumu and Nairobi, Kenya. Um, I don't oversee that portion of our work. What I oversee is, as, as mentioned, global programs and partnerships. So that includes um, facilitating a global community practice of you know 20 plus organizations from Central America to Southeast Asia, just facilitating collaborative opportunities, uh, encouraging one another, sharpening one another. Um, we do operate primarily Primarily within, you know, the face faith-based OVC space, but certainly uh, work with organizations that are also coming from other backgrounds. Um, So I facilitate the community of practice. I also coordinate and run the National Accelerator Program, which basically uh, establishes joint venture projects in different regions and countries of the world to provide, again, our core methodology, which is transitioning uh, support to organizations. We recognize that what it looks like to transition an organization in Kenya is different from Haiti, different from Uganda, different from West Africa. So what we do is we get behind organizations that have already established a case for support and a theory of change for what it looks like to safely reunify kids and transition within their country. Uh, and then they have the opportunity to support through training, through consultation, um, through government advocacy, through community mobilization to basically continue to push that forward. So we're currently doing that in four different uh, countries, uh, regions of the world. Uh, Of course, uh, we treasure our partnership with uh, HCW and the Child Reintegration Center there in Sierra Leone and the impact that that they're seeing in West Africa. We also have uh, partnerships within that program in Haiti, Uganda, and Lesotho. Um, so I oversee that and then digital platforms. So that's the other thing that, that I oversee at 1 million home and something that we're passionate about, which is how can we reach the broader care reform sector, the broader orphan care sector with, uh, tools and trainings, uh, that people will actually get into. So, um, our digital platforms include e-learning, a site called Journey Home. We have six courses on there currently, all video-based with uh, different resources that are attached to these. Uh, focus on safeguarding, trauma-informed care, family reunification, uh, volunteering with uh, ethics in mind. Those types of those types of topics we cover. It's all free. Um, we also have a podcast um, that we've been running for the last couple years um, called Think Orphan, which was actually started in 2016 by by a friend and a partner within this space, and we've been able to steward that for the last couple of years and, um, continue to reach organizations that have an interest in caring for orphan and vulnerable children with excellence. So that's, uh, that's what we do. And, uh, and of course, like I said, it's, it's awesome to work with, uh, helping children worldwide and appreciate your guys's leadership in this space as well.
0: That's awesome. That's like 1 million home in a really big nutshell,
1: <laughs> right? Um,
0: because you do so much. We've been connected to 1 Million Homes since about 2019. We talk a lot about radical collaboration at HCW. I think that's something our audience is going to be really familiar with. Um but one of the reasons why we love 1 Million Home is that um you're radically collaborative as an organization and that you know that little note you just dropped about how that online platform is all is all free. Um, that's kind of like a hallmark of one million home, just this open handedness. you know, if they've got a tool that's useful and helps people in one place, um you're super generous about making sure that other people have access to that tool. and that collaboration within that network, you know is is what's um, game changing for a lot of organizations, including us. so. We're, we're good friends and we've been good friends and we've worked really closely together. You like what you hear on Optimistic Voices where it's related to child welfare and you have not checked out Think Orphan. You need to do that. I want to get <laughs> to the topic. Um, and so first of all, can you talk to me a little bit, like give a little bit of, of personal Brandon history in terms of your calling and where it led you and just talk a little bit about that?
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it all started for me. Um, when I was in university, um, like a lot of young Christians, um, you know, that's a really formative time really for any young adult, but, but certainly, you know, kind of leaving the nest and, uh, you know, getting my feet wet, living on my own. Um, I was, uh, I had moved, I, from the central coast of California moved to, uh, Southern California and, uh, was attending a university there and I started uh, I, I got into like an education program. I thought I was going to become a, a early child or not early childhood, early elementary school teacher. That's what I thought I was going to become. That was the track that I was in. I was supervising an after school program. I was teaching Sunday school at my church. So I was just like, yeah, I'm going to work with kids. I love working with kids. And, um, it was, uh, at the church that I was attending on father's day in 2007. Um, the two previous weeks I had been getting this, um, kind of unction uh, or this kind of uh, impression uh, from the from from the Holy Spirit about uh, something that just seemed really out of left field. And I went into that service with this this kind of recurring thought. Um, and during the worship service at, at my church in Costa Mesa, these words came back to me and it was words that I had not really considered. And it was the words, go run an orphanage in Africa. So those were very much impressed upon my heart. Um, The speaker, and again, I mentioned this was father's day came up and um, he was British. Uh, His name is Mike Pilavachi. He was a pastor of a mega church or large church called soul survivor in the UK. Um, And he came up, and I don't even remember what most of his sermon was about. But he came up and just made this comment about um, about uh, a recent trip that he had been on to South Africa. And on that, uh, in that, in that statement that he was making, he said the AIDS epidemic in Africa is huge, but it's led to an even worse epidemic, and that's children that are growing up without fathers. And I had this notion. And this, um, yeah, this, this spirit led impression about running an orphanage in Africa. And then this random guest speaker, you know, comes up and says, you know, there's a fatherless epidemic in Africa. So anyways, I take all of those things and just say, well, I guess this is what God's doing. So I spent the next year, um, Which was a challenging year. It was my last year of university. There was just kind of a lot of stuff going on in my life personally. But um, took that and just kind of only told really close people, my family, my friends, "Hey, this is what I feel God is calling me to." And uh, went. uh, I I applied for a couple trips. Just said, "All right, Africa. I've never been there." Um, But you know, where's my Christian university that I was attending, Vanguard? Um, Where do they send teams? And Uh, they were sending teams to Mozambique and to Tanzania, and I got accepted for the team to Tanzania. And so then I went there in 2008. So first felt called in 2007, did a short-term mission strip in 2008, really felt confirmation. Um, I had become a child sponsor in that interim. So once I knew that we were going to go visit, volunteer, whatever, at an orphanage in Tanzania, I became a child sponsor of one of the kids that were in the orphanage, um, went there in 2008 really felt confirmed in the calling felt that that's where I was supposed to be. Uh, when I went back to the States after that short-term mission trip, I basically just told everybody, Hey, I'm not going to become a teacher. After all, I'm going to become a missionary. I'm going to, you know, follow this calling to go start an orphanage or whatever in Africa, go run an orphanage. Um, so I did that. So, so I pursued that. Um, In 2009, I went back to the same city in Tanzania, did a two-month internship. uh, And it was during that internship that the person that was running the orphanage uh, actually uh, essentially offered me a job. And it wasn't the type of job where it's like, I'm going to pay you for this. It's more like you go raise money for me, and then you can come here and work for free because that's how it works to be an orphan care missionary, I guess. Um, But at any rate, um, that's what I did. (laughs) Um, So... I ended up moving to Tanzania in January 2010, and I was uh, 23 years old at the time, uh, and really kind of felt like I guess I'm stepping into my calling, and uh, and that was that was the progression. I ended up working at that children's home for two and a half years, um, and uh, we'll probably get into all the nitty gritty of how I forsook my calling. No, I'm just joking. I'm being <laughs> that's too on the nose, but um, at any rate, um, that that was kind of the impetus for God kind of getting my feet moving, at least.
0: That's great. There's a lot in there that I did not know. Like, I think I had some general ideas, but um, there's some details in there I didn't know. So I appreciate you sharing all that. Um, so we've been throwing this word, the calling around for a while, you know, for a bit now. We haven't really defined it. Um, I'm not sure that there's a, a, you know, widely accepted working definition. But if I asked you to define what that means, um, how, how what would you say?
1: Yeah, well, I think that my understanding of what a calling is, has probably evolved over the last uh, dozen years Uh, uh, or over. Well, let's see, since 2007. So what is that? 16 years, 15, 16 years. My my understanding has certainly evolved. Um, I think you know, if I were to kind of like look at the bigger picture of what was going on within kind of the American evangelical church in the late 2000s, there was a big push towards being missional. And I think that 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 was kind of the broader context of when I received my calling. I think at the time, um, I probably kind of saw it as more of a destination. Um, the, the, that's where I'm going i'm I'm going to fulfill this calling. God has given me a job. so that's what I'm gonna go do. Um interestingly enough, from the moment of getting that calling or that that impression from God, um you know, it was only two and a half years later that I actually moved to Tanzania, moved to Africa to, you know, start, Working at an orphanage and actually kind of only be a step or two away from actually running an orphanage. And again, I was only 23. So I I think that that is often what people kind of come to is kind of viewing a calling as a destination. Um, I think what I have more come to recognize is that calling, which is related to the word vocation, um, is really more of a journey, it's a path, it's a direction. Um, And I think that specifically, you know, that initial impression that I felt from God really kind of allowed me um, the opportunity to start moving, but then to recognize that just because I set foot in Tanzania at age 23 and was now working as, you know, the education director and business manager at an orphanage that now I had arrived and now I had fulfilled my calling it would almost be depressing in a way, you know, to only be 23 and be like, "I've arrived. Here's my destination." Right. Check that box. Yeah, yeah. just check, check that box.
0: box. I'm done. <laughs> right.
1: It's it's not all downhill from here now. So um so yeah so I I would definitely say in how, where I've gotten to now, I really kind of see calling as more of a vocation, more of a direction, um, and that God will have us do things along the way. And God will redirect, you know, within the, within the parameters of, you know, that thing that he has actually called us into. So yeah, that, that, that's kind of my take. And like I said, it's evolved.
0: Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about this since you and I spoke last week, um, I have a tendency to do that sort of ruminate on, on the conversation. I was thinking this morning that, you know, we often talk about, um, this, our spiritual journey and, and it's, you know, both a journey and a, and a sort of maturation maturation process. And I thought about how like that, we've come become really accustomed to, to casting it that way. Um, I remember telling somebody years ago that I felt like I was in sort of an adolescent space in my faith journey, um, where I felt very much, you know, like a teenager sort of rebelling and and processing through my identity as a Christian and and all that stuff. And it occurred to me this morning that if we think of our faith journey as a journey, and a maturation process, why wouldn't a calling work in the same way? You know, why would, why would God have that be sort of a checkbox when everything else about your engagement with your faith and with God is more of a journey, more of a growing um, of a, of a deepening of a, of a um, widening, if you will. Um, So I also do, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, it's it, it's much more ad- active. It's not a static thing. It's not, you know, be at this point at this time. Uh, and I think that that's, I mean, if we were to kind of just reflect on our past, that's just how life works. If we look at our own history, we see these different seasons. We see relationships that enter in at certain times and leave at other times. And it's very active. It's very, um, it's not a static thing whatsoever. So I think if we were to use the term calling to describe a future event, why would we assume that it's any different than when we look retrospectively, right? In the past, it was active. In the past, it was meeting new people, learning new things, um, taking on new endeavors. I think a calling is again, it's, it is that direction. It is that active thing to continue to build new relationships, to see people come, to see people go, to start new endeavors, um, all within the same direction, but not necessarily just, you know, that rendezvous point, that fixed destination that you're getting to.
0: Yeah. So when you describe your calling that first moment, it was like almost a clear. I mean, it was like a declarative sentence, the way you framed it. Go to, go to, you know, go start an orphanage, I think was what you said.
1: Yeah. Go run an orphanage. Yeah.
0: Go run an orphanage. So when did you start to feel like maybe it wasn't that? Maybe it was something else.
1: Yeah. What did that uh, feel like?
0: Like, did that threaten your sense of feeling called?
1: Well, I I would definitely say that as those things continue to unfold, um, there were definitely some perplexing reflections, you know, as far as, well, didn't God say this? It seemed very specific, and it was very specific. I was very specific about it, even how I communicated it to other people. I think if I had just only, you know, done what Mary did and treasure it in my heart… Uh, that maybe I could have rationalized it away. But the reality is I was very explicit with a lot of people. (laughs) God told me to go run an orphanage in Africa. So there was no backing down and be like, oh, you know, rationalize it away. That's really what I felt. Um, And I'll just say, you know, I, uh, I was raised Baptist. Um, I went to a Pentecostal school. I'm kind of a Anabaptist, charismatic is probably the best way that i would describe my my own spirituality uh so that charismatic pentecostal we we, we operate uh, you know from that notion that we can actually hear from god and and uh i think that that can there can be a lot of beauty in that there can also be a lot of confusion in that um especially if if that uh if that notion of hearing from god isn't um isn't coupled with discerning and isn't coupled with a proper understanding of scripture. Um, so it wasn't, um, it wasn't a common thing to kind of feel that very sp- specific, you know, type of communication. Um, yeah. but it also wasn't like, Oh, this never happens. No, I was going to an assemblies of God school. I've, I've seen this happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyways, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of how that came about.
0: I really appreciate that framing because um, as you know, helping children worldwide is sort of born out of the Methodist tradition. And I'm a, I'm a born and bred Methodist, like my whole life Methodist. And we tend to be much more like, I don't know, um, that I think for some Methodists, that notion of feeling called of hearing a clear voice from God feels a little mystical, a little like supernatural, a little, um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, you know, Methodists, I think tend to be a little bit more square corners <laughs>
1: if and a little more reserved.
0: Right, yeah. Thank you. That's a much nicer way to put it. I'm like, all of my Methodist friends are going, thanks a lot. Laura. Well,
1: John, John Wesley wasn't though, uh, you know, That's the father right. of the right. Methodist movement, he, he, totally he really right. prayed for revival and felt God leading him out into the fields and, and all that, but you know, institutions change over time and the Methodist, even though he's the father of it it didn't really totally get moving until after his death of course but anyways i you know i i grew up baptist general conference which is not charismatic so uh you know there's different expressions of faith and different qualities of each denomination of course
0: Uh, even having grown up methodist i really do believe that i also received a calling i mean it was not as clear um declarative sentence and it certainly has been a and now do this and now do this. You know Um, I think there's a spiritual kind of, maybe it's a spiritual discipline. There's a, like, what, what do you need to have on board yourself spiritually, emotionally, cognitively, or whatever to be open to that? Um, And, and I think you and I talked on Friday about this. I think, it's more than just sort of being open and receptive to receiving it, but but a need to remain in a certain um frame of mind to continue to plug into that. So you want to speak to that a little bit?
1: Sure. Yeah. And, and obviously we're treading into very metaphysical uh waters here. Uh and yeah, it's unusual not...
0: for optimistic voices, but um, but I'm digging it.
1: No, I love it. And this this is a very unique conversation and not one that we dig into when I'm on other podcasts. So this is fun. Um, And I'll just, you know, I'm not a theologian. Or anything, um, but I, I think there's different ways to cultivate that sense of receiving direction. If we just kind of make it really broad, um, certainly from scripture, you know, there's 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 a lot of people that just say, "Oh, I never hear from God." I never hear from God. Man, do you know that like he like he inspired 66 books written by various people like throughout history that is the inspired word of God, you can open up scripture and actually hear from him. And of course you have to learn, you know, how to interpret and it's good to get commentaries and it's good to hear, you know, different people teach on those scriptures, but man, you do have opportunity right there to hear from God. So I think cultivating, um, an understanding of scripture is really critical. Um, and even when it comes to those moments of prayerful contemplation, you know, such as I was having during that worship service, um, that reflective piece around scripture is actually really going to serve your own prayerful, you know, insight that you might gather. If I had a better understanding of, you know, God's heart for orphaned and vulnerable children, it probably um, as, as portrayed through scripture, if, if I had a, if I had a more holistic view of God's, you know, directives in both the old Testament and the new Testament, as it pertained to orphans, vulnerable families, and so forth, I probably could have, uh, I don't know. I want to say like moved faster, you know, through my own progression, but the reality is, um, I had a very, uh, very surface level understanding of God's heart for the orphan as portrayed through scripture. And what I um, perceived as what God was calling me into was also a very kind of um, surface level application of what it means to do orphan care, which was just go run an orphanage, you know, because that's what people do. Right. And it was the mid two thousands and that's what people do in the mid two thousands. Right. So, um, so I do think that, that even as we're hearing from God, if we can, you know, check that against scripture and really have a heart and really have a desire to perceive what God is speaking, um, with the help of the Holy spirit, then that's gonna, that's gonna serve us well, you know, as believers, as people that want to follow Jesus, right? We want to be followers of Jesus. So, um, so I think that that's, that, that those are two really important things is, you know, spending time in prayer and, um, And, and really getting into scripture and, and wrestling, you know, with, with the things that God is, is potentially calling us to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important that kind of begs for a a sort of like maintaining an openness. Mm. Um, I think people can like uh, fall in love with the initial calling and then have a reluctance um, to, to pivot when God's asking you to pivot. And so did you feel a moment where you felt like God was saying, "Um, yeah, this is good, but actually now I need you to do this? What was that?
1: No, and and you frame it really well, Laura. Um, I would definitely say that um, openness, true openness and uh, the possibility to repent is not something that's celebrated within our culture um unfortunately we live in a time where everybody is a hundred percent certain about this and they're a hundred percent certain that that tribe is different from my tribe and this is why and this is what i was doing and that's what i'm going to keep doing because that's the right thing to do and anything else like we live in this kind of environment that's just very certain very straight and i like that you use the word openness and not and and Primarily, again, within the within the guardrails of vocation and calling, it's being open to God, being open to recognizing that that God knows better than we do, um, that He has a path, He has a plan, and uh, he has the right, as the sovereign king to correct us. And we're not infallible people. And when we come into those things, it's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to repent. So as it pertained to my specific calling within orphan care, I would definitely say that there were different moments that kind of accumulated over time where they were learning opportunities for me. So after we were at the children's home, um, for about a year or so, there was another organization that that I was close with um, that I had uh, done my internship with. And they were a little more spread out as far as their programs go. And they had started this program while I was still at the children's home that was focused on essentially foster care. And I remember there were some people that were there on like a one-year deal to, to go and be a part of that organization. And they had asked me, you know, over dinner. Well, what do you think of this program? Knowing that I was working at the orphanage. And I think that they were assuming that I was going to have this kind of like, oh, that's not going to work or throw shade at the Tanzanian foster parents or what have you. But I just told them, I think it's awesome. I think it's great. I think it's, I think it's, if we can make it work, then that's what we should do. And, um, you know it's those types of moments where we just uh, it would be easy for me as somebody working at a residential facility to just say oh no that's that's not going to work because of a b and c and it's better if kids just go into orphanages or whatever but it was it was just an honest reflection after having been there for you know a while at that point at least a year year, year and a half two years um to say no i actually think that could work and interestingly you know we left the children's home primarily because Uh, we had, my, my wife and I were newly married and we, um, my wife, uh, became pregnant. So we moved back to the States to, um, to have our baby. And I worked at a church in the interim and I wasn't working at the children's home, uh, anymore. And when we felt God leading us back to Tanzania, we actually went and worked for that other organization and then took over that foster care type of ministry. So, um, I think it's kind of like you see the progression, and at these different points, um, you can make a decision. Like, is God teaching me something new here in this maturation process as I'm pursuing this calling? Because at this point now, I'm learning. Oh, okay. You know, God does set the lonely in families. Oh man, that 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 should totally switch our paradigm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when I think back to that sermon in 2007. The thing that gripped me even more was what the preacher had said, which was this epidemic of fatherlessness. Now, it would be easy for me to step in and be like, and I very much had this kind of white savior complex, American savior complex, whatever, to step into that orphanage and be like, I'm a father to these kids. Never mind the fact that I hadn't known them very long or that some of them were only like five or six years younger than me, right? (laughs) But, you know, I had this kind of complex and this understanding of like, I'm a father to these kids well um that's not <laughs> to use a term that we probably use too much at 1 million home that's not a scalable solution uh you know releasing yes. releasing at the very 20, least yeah yeah releasing 20 something you know americans to go solve fatherlessness in africa isn't scalable right. it's not the right approach it's not anything but if we you know as whoever we are whether we're american or something else can promote the 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 support to fathers and mothers right um to actually solve that crisis of fatherlessness to solve that crisis of kids growing up outside of parental care if we could actually promote that and support that well that actually is you you can multiply that and that's actually god's design from the beginning of time anyways so um so anyways you know coming across those opportunities to kind of rethink and to kind of devote you know energy and thought space to something new is, is important.
0: So here's what I'm kind of hearing you say in your story. So the first thing is you hear this, you know, you're 20s, whatever you're years old, you're in college, you hear this, this guest speaker preach, and you hear this call, go to go to Africa, support an orphanage. Um, And so the first step is just answering the call. It's just, yeah, you know, um, send me. I'll yeah. go where you send yeah. me and then the next is a moment i'm like i'm feeling like these moments along your journey the moment that you're in this space where this foster care program and you're saying oh there's a different way to do this like it's not just put kids in an orphanage there's a program that's actually functioning and working by putting kids in a family and then you become a father and and i know you know because i in a similar space becoming a parent like changed everything like understanding what that was and what I wanted for my kids, um, changed yeah. how I looked at the work that I did. And I, it's just interesting to me how God has taken you on this, um, this journey of calling and sort of presented you with these learning opportunities, but like at the moment where you needed that specific thing. Right.
1: Absolutely. And, and it's funny, you, you know, mentioned that send me, I only have, I only have one tattoo. Mainly because I started having kids and I can't afford them anymore. But it was, <laughs> I it was, it was Isaiah six eight, and it's on my shoulder, and it just says, mm-hmm. "Send me," and I got it that year. So That's it was exactly very much saying. that that take the first step, send me, yeah.
0: Yeah. you know.
1: And and you mentioned another thing in there that I think is really. Um, that was absolutely crucial and pivotal for me, which was becoming a father and recognizing the profound difference. Because if if God's calling me into a space to end fatherlessness, whether that be in Tanzania or elsewhere, I need to actually know what it's like to be a father, not just to be somebody that really loves the kids that I was working with in Costa Mesa or really loved the kids I was working with in Moshi Tanzania which was true and honest but it wasn't I wasn't their father I wasn't I was the you know supervisor or I was the teacher or I was the whatever um so that was definitely if anything honestly probably the most pivotal thing was actually becoming a father and recognizing that the very uh, substantial difference you know when my daughter was born in 2012.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's what happened for me too. I think, you know, when, when you're handed that baby for the first time and you realize that like you would literally give your life if, if, you know, if you were asked to, you would just like without hesitation. And I remember thinking, why would I not want that for those kids that were serving in that orphanage in Africa? I want them to have that because that's what I want my daughter to have. Um, Yeah, I do think that's profound. I want to circle back to this idea of openness because you and I talked about we didn't talk about openness. we talked about self-reflection and humility. Um, and one of the things that we've shared on previous optimistic voices podcasts, I think in the most recent episode, which um, I don't know when this one is going to air, but um, we talked about the moment as an organization where we got radically honest with ourselves um, where we had to recognize that, um, harm was happening in the orphanage on our watch, that harm was happening to um, kids that had grown up in the orphanage and had aged out and were not making it. And were really struggling to do life. Um, and when we got brave enough to really shine the light and I, we say, you know, we shone the light in all the dark corners. Um, and I I've said to somebody in the recent past, it, you know, you hear that expression, there are moments that drive you to your knees. That was a moment for us, organizationally speaking, and I think individually speaking, where we were really driven to our knees. Um, so you and I have been talking about this idea of radical humility and how that plays into how you both receive a calling and understand your calling. And then I think just sort of maybe responsibly um, answer it or follow it. <laughs> Do you want to speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I think humility is is key. Um, and I think that there's examples even in Scripture, you know, of of that humble path. I mean, this is something that that Christ calls us to Himself, and and He was humble, He was meek, um, and yet He had all the authority, all the power, and yet He's actually calling us to be humble and. He was infallible. We are very fallible, you know? So I think having that, even even in the midst, like it wasn't a sin for me to hear from God, you know, go run an orphanage in Africa. If he had said something other than that to me, I probably would not have understood which step I was supposed to take because the next step was the right step. It, It wasn't, what I had in my mind as the destination wasn't, uh, wasn't necessarily what would be best for children, but if it wasn't for that word, I would not have even started to move. You know what I mean? So, so I do think that it is, you know, finding that, finding that next step. Um, But it takes humility. It does take self-reflection because, you know, again, once I had my own child, I could reflect. I could reflect on what I had said in terms of I mean, I have very clear notions. I remember um, being at language school in 2010 and talking with a with a humanitarian guy from Italy that was also in the same class as me, and we were having a drink together. and you know he said, um, well, as as I was sharing with him about the orphanage that I was starting at, uh, do you see yourself more as a father or as an educator? And I said, oh, for sure, more as a father, right? And and it's, it's, it was in the opportunity to actually walk that out. Um, and my interactions with those children at the orphanage, and then to have my daughter be born, um, to actually reflect and say, Oh no, this is different. I was an educator. I was the business manager. Um, I was a mentor in some ways to some of those kids, but I, I wasn't a father and, and, in in many ways what would have been a better approach would have been to actually getting those kids fathers and mothers right um so that self reflection was was really key and again i think you know one of the things that you and i talked about the other day was was the scriptural and you know examples of what it means to pursue a calling you know um we could think about moses you know god called moses to go and free the israelites who were enslaved in egypt and, um, he did things to equip him, like sending his, you know, brother with him. He, uh, you know, he used his staff. So there's even kind of this tool type of thing. And he did these things to equip him, but it was, it was a long process. And, um, there was, there was challenges along the way. And there was, you know, Pharaoh whose, hard was, whose heart was hard, um, meaning more in the Egyptian sense that it was guilty. He he had basically made the decision and then God allowed that decision to continue to basically just not permit, you know, the the slaves to go free. And, you know, Moses walked through that whole thing and he had to make decisions. It was active. It was, you know, Pharaoh said yes, and then he said no. So then he had to take action, and then they finally did, and now they're all up against the um, you know, the Red Sea. And, you know, Exodus 14, 14 is is one of my favorite verses where, you know, uh Moses is having to encourage them, like, just be still, like God will act. You know, that's a total paraphrase. But um, you know, he's having these moments of leadership, these moments of interaction, all within one calling, which was to lead the people into the promised land and interestingly as people are aware Moses himself did not even enter the promised land and that was not because he didn't fulfill his calling necessarily but it was because of decisions that he made it was because of you know just this the just the interactions within that but it wasn't you know i think for moses his foremost thing was were those moments with god and and as ruth haley barton says God was his promised land, you know. So, so there is that redemptive piece, um, but it wasn't just this. You know, you could look at that and be like, "The promised land is the destination," and you could just say, oh, "That's that's the pinpoint. That's the rendezvous point." But we're there was headed. so much within Moses's story that was interactive, and and there were decisions that needed to be made, and relationships that came and went, and there was you know, derision within the people. And, you know, somebody where it's like the earth swallowed up Achan, like, you know, it's like all these crazy things are happening all with this one leader that's, that, that's pursuing, you know, his calling, which God gave him in the desert as an old man. So I, I do think that if we actually kind of look at scripture, I think we'll, we would have a better understanding of, you know, calling. Uh, just kind of in general. I, I think there's other examples of that too, but but I really love the one of Moses for sure.
0: I think that's really important too. I think what you're illustrating in that is that you know, people think that they answer a calling and then everything's gonna be smooth. You know, I'm I'm doing the thing that God wants me to do. And so the path will be laid laid before me and um and and I'll I'll be in the flow of God's, you know, intention and all of that. And all of that is true. <laughs> there are still, you know, boulders in the flow and there are, you know, obstacles and challenges in the way. And he's not promised that that way will be easy. Like that was never a part of the deal. And I think people who, who answer calling, I think that, you know, you need to have that posture of radical humility. You need to have the posture of, of introspection, openness to God at all times. Because it is going to be a bumpy path. It is going to have um, turns and and pivots where you have to turn from what you thought it was to what it actually is or what it is now or where he's leading you. Um, And I think that's all really important in understanding any calling that you answer, but specifically where kids are involved. So anyway, I think we're just about out of time. Is there anything else you you didn't get to say that you want to say before I, I close this up?
1: No, I think that this has been fun. And and honestly, I think, you know, for orphan care professionals, whatever that means, like you and me, I yeah. think that these types of conversations are are lacking way too much um, within this. So I just appreciate the chance to kind of dive into this, you know, with you. You know, one thing that, that I've shared before, um, and I think is also pertinent to this, is, you know, calling is very much... Um, it's, it's a it's a spiritual it's a spiritual thing you know we as humans are multifaceted multidimensional beings um and this having that that sense of spiritual calling is a powerful beautiful force and not something that we should um, take lightly um and i think that you know, when we talk about some of those more intangible things, so we can talk about like the technical and the professional, like what's your degree and, you know, how many, you know, what's your practice, what's your experience, like what, what have you done professionally? What's your, you know, scope of work currently? We can talk about all those things. And we talk about those things a lot. We talk about that on ThinkOrphan. We talk about that within the sector, but if we really want to talk about how can we get kids into family, we need to be more open to having conversations that are spiritual and emotional in nature like this one. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Laura, I've been on a dozen podcasts and this is the first time and typically talking about care reform, typically talking about getting kids in the family. And this is one of the only times I can think of where we primarily talk about that spiritual component and that sense of calling And we can't do without it, especially for those of us that are believers. Um, And I think it is probably the most powerful conversation that we can have towards getting after what is really kind of buttressing all of the current care landscape, which is way over dependent on kids being placed in residential care, placed in orphanages and children's homes, is the emotional piece. And there are government pieces that need to move. There are organizational pieces that need to move, but so much, and certainly within the places that 1 million home is interacting, so much of the care is supported primarily by emotional outlooks. Um, So that means the money is flowing because such and such, you know, uh, orphanage was visited by this church in America or that child sponsor or what have you. Um, but that money is very much linked to the emotion. And then the people that are working there, they're benefiting from that because that's their vocation. But again, that's the, that the, the, there's a lot of emotions in that. So if we're going to really kind of unwrap, um, these practices, we have to be willing to get into the spiritual and the emotional components that are really kind of fortifying a lot of, a lot of, you know, the apparatus that, that, that care systems are sitting on. So I I just really appreciate this, you know, conversation, um, and a lot more could be said. Uh, in in some ways, I feel like we talked about the same topic a few days ago, and yet this conversation has even been different from that. And I think that that's yeah, just uh, that's just uh, the nature of talking about really big, deep things. So I would just encourage you know your listeners um, to to do that introspection and to do that that reflective piece, and to do it um, from a stance of humility and being open to change. And, and changing yourself uh, or like with the power of God, changing yourself, repenting and doing something better. That's going to be better for you spiritually, better for you holistically, and also better for the people that you're seeking to impact. So, uh, yeah, I guess that'll be my parting word, my parting word, but, but this was, this was great, Laura.
0: Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. And I, I agree. I, I think that the indication, the, the the comment you just made about the fact that we just had a co- almost completely different conversation that we had on friday um, is just an indication that um, there's so much more to be said on this topic so i'm not going to let you get off that easy though because you know when we close out optimistic voice um, voices episodes we always ask our guests to share with us one thing that keeps you optimistic in the work that you do because the work that we do in this sector can be heartbreaking sometimes so what is it that keeps you optimistic in this work
1: you know, I, I'll give you two things. One that is um, certainly beyond uh, my control or anyone's control. And then one that is very much a trend within the sector. The first I'll start um, when we talk about scripture and we, you you referenced Psalm 68, six earlier, um, which to me is a critical, critical scripture. And for those that don't know it, it says um, that God is a father to the fatherless in his holy habitation and that God sets the lonely in families. So this is saying that God is a father to the fatherless. Um, and the beautiful thing about being becoming a father to the fatherless is they're not fatherless anymore. So this is God's heart. This is what he does. And he doesn't set the lonely into orphanages. He sets them into families. That's just what he does. That's just what he does. And there's nothing that we can do. That's going to say, Oh no, that's not what God's going to do. No, it's, it's written. It's in Holy scripture. Like God sets the lilian families. And, uh, so that definitely gives me hope because that's, that's who he is. That's who God is. Um, and then the second thing is, um, more within, you know, again, kind of like a big picture within our dominion, you know, God has given us dominion over the earth, um, as it says in Genesis and, um, Within that space, both Christians and non-Christians, we are seeing some shifts um, within global child welfare, um, walking back some of the over-reliance on residential care. And there's still so much work to be done, but the conversation, I would say, has shifted quite tremendously um, from what it was 15 years ago 15 20 years ago when we were still in the throes of the HIV AIDS epidemic and and all the ravaging that that was doing on families in the global south so um, i would just say that it's encouraging and i feel optimistic about the about the trend within orphan care space and within child welfare so having more conversations like this having more conversations like what we have on Think Orphan more organizations that are entering this space I think is 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 certainly an encouragement and something to be optimistic about that we'll continue to see kids reenter family.
0: I completely agree. Um, listen, thank you for joining us on Optimistic Voices. And I thank the audience for listening in. We like to say it's a big messy world out there, but, and there's no shortage of need. Um, there's certainly, as Brandon says, a ton of work ahead of us and lots to do, but we believe that with radical courage and radical collaboration, we can change the world. If you like what you hear, please tune in for other episodes of Optimistic Voices and check out Think Orphan. Um, Brandon mentioned uh, an author, and we're going to throw that author's name and her book title in our show notes. So you should check that out. Um, That book's on leadership and how Moses um, applied that servant leadership in his own life. And I think you'll enjoy that. So thanks again for joining us, and um, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can find us at Helping Children Worldwide on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Hashtag Optimistic Voices Podcast.